0: And Welcome to 101 George Street, the podcast for Mowbray, Scotland's National Centre for Children's Literature and Storytelling. This week on the show, we have storyteller Renita Boyle. Renita has been described as that tale-telling, tongue-twisting troubadour, try saying that five times, with a background in writing, poetry and the arts. Renita, thank you for joining us. Nice to be here. Why did you become a storyteller and a writer?
1: Well, I think it was quite inside of me. I think it, it's very innate. I think you can hone gifts and skills, but actually, I grew up in a small farming community in America, and my great grandfather was a lumberjack, and he had a storytelling tradition of folk tales from his lumberjack days. And so I grew up with my great grandfather telling me oral stories from his days as a lumberjack. And then also my church was very involved. If you went to my church, everybody was involved. And so from the time I was like eight years old, I was in front of hundreds of people telling stories. So it was just nurtured it. So the environment in which I was in was just, it just nurtured oral storytelling. And that was an amazing thing to grow up with and have instilled within me writing. I've just always loved writing. I like to play with words. I like to play with rhyme. Um, I have a strong, silly singing tradition from Girl Scouts, which is also a kind of a form of oral storytelling, I suppose. And so I just naturally grew up with these things around me, and they just fueled my natural interest in it. And so I just continue to this day.
0: I'm trying to work out what brought you to Scotland from your early beginnings in America, now that you're an established storyteller and writer in Scotland. What happens in between?
1: So I went to a college in uh, the US and during my freshman year at college, the summer of that year, I came over to Scotland on a trip with 90 other young teenagers and we happened to stay in a church in Knightswood. And that's where I met Eric, my beloved, I didn't really get to know him at all until I came back the following year. I really wanted to come and get more of an understanding of Scotland. So I stayed with the family from that church. And then I got, I really met Eric. And on our third date, we bought our engagement ring, waited a year, got married in Wisconsin because nobody would have spoken to me otherwise. And then I moved here. So I've, we're coming up for our 35th anniversary.
0: That's a wonderful story, actually. It sounds like your faith is quite an important part of you.
1: Yes. Yes, would, it is.
0: Would you say there's, um, there's a correlation between your enjoyment with stories and then storytelling and with your faith?
1: I would say yes. I think my faith feeds my storytelling. Story is very important. We know that stories, I mean, in, in the big scheme of things, storytelling is the most primal art form that we have. It predates any art form. And it is the way that we make sense of the world. The stories that we tell... And the stories that we believe function as a way to help us keep our histories, but also to help us to survive and to thrive. And we know that our brains don't tell the same story in the same way. Our brains actually tell stories in a way that try to help us to heal. And it's, that whole thought process is quite interesting. And so I think my faith really feeds into that. And of course, the way that I might have handled those faith stories, when I was younger, are very different than I would handle them today or in the future because my faith is always developing. It feeds it. I find strength in some of those stories. I personally, one of my favorite stories is uh, that I've written about in my Time for Bed Bible, is the Hashabai boat, and it's where Jesus calms the storm. And I I find that in the middle of storms, I often return to that story, and just you know. There is someone who can help you calm the storm that is swelling inside of you. So that's those are stories that are part and parcel to me. They help me to have something to hold on to and strengthen me.
0: Would you say that, because obviously Scotland has a very strong oral history tradition. In fact, it's one of the traditional art yeah. forms in Scotland. Mm-hmm. This sense of stories being connected to the past But at the same time, they're there to teach us something. They help us learn about the world. Yes, they do indeed. Again, there's a relationship there, I think, that you seem to be drawn towards stories or telling stories that have even a moral attached to them or some sort of lesson, some sort of life lesson that's attached to them. Would you say that is the case?
1: I think so. Although I think I am less didactic than I used to be. So I... I used to be very much a person, this is what you should think, mm. you know, this is the story and this is what you should take from this story. And I think my storytelling as I get older and wiser is more open. It's it's more like I invite you to come in and explore this story, you know, find what you need from this story. I, I'm a real believer that actually each one of us has the story that we need within us for each day. And we have to find it. You know, what is it from our lives that can give strength to this day or wisdom to this day? What is it that we know from our family history that can keep us going or help us to avoid mistakes? I think the stories that I tell, a lot of the stories I tell now, if they're not just for fun, like my funky folk and fables, they're just flat out fun, you know. But um I hope that my the stories that I am attending to now are stories that have a lot of breathing space in them for people of any faith or any belief to find what they need from them
0: that's quite a brave decision to take actually a decision to make to go from I mean I'm speaking as someone who's got a background in performance myself to go from a a situation where you're essentially performing to them and there is a simple message and you have the message and you want them to listen to your message to go from that kind of relationship that very traditional performer audience relationship to a more uh, inclusive relationship where you're you're giving them the story but at the same time you're Allowing them to interpret the meaning themselves there's a risk there would you say
1: I would say there is a risk there but I think we all do it you know I mean I don't know how many times you've read a poem and the poet might mean one thing from it but you take from it whatever it is you need from it that story. So as a storyteller, I think the thing about storytelling and t- taking that away from the Bible stories, you know, which actually, you know, there are, there are lessons to be learned there. Although some of the parables, of course, Jesus doesn't tell us what they mean. You know, they're there to extrapolate the meaning from. But take, taking those aside, I think that one of the lovely things about storytelling is I like to say that I create a sigh Where the spirit inhabits, where something happens beyond me, beyond the teller and beyond the story, something happens in that space that has nothing to do with me. I've just created an environment that the spirit can inhabit and people can take from the story what they need. And it's it's a storytelling as an art form is about the relationship. It's different than there are aspects of performance, definitely to my storytelling, but there is definitely at the heart of good oral storytelling is the development of a relationship between you and the audience. It's not a performance. There's no third wall. You are creating a relationship with the people that you are with in the room or even online. You're creating a relationship that you are then creating an environment where everyone feels safe and people can take what they need from the story that you are
0: creating. What is your preference with regards to the size of the audience? Do you prefer to have small audiences that encourage a kind of intimate relationship between just a very few select members of the audience? Or do you prefer performing in front of a larger crowd?
1: I have no preference. I love it all. I love when I'm, you know, like for the book festival, over the last 13 years, I've performed to thousands and thousands and thousands of kids who come, come through the book festival over those, that time. And every year I create a very funky performance, crowd-pleasing folktale and fable and i love that there's nothing better than to stand in front of a group of 600 to a thousand kids all singing songs with you and you've got them in the palm of your hand and then years later they come up to you and sing the songs that you taught them when they were in p1 you know there's just nothing that beats that kind of thing except that it also beats it when you're with a tiny group like recently i've been working with i have i'm a lifelong uh person with anxiety and I like to think of myself as a rather upbeat downbeat but I am a downbeat and uh, so I have uh, been working on uh, st- stories that are helpful to people would have been helpful to people like myself who don't identify you know I, I don't like to be pigeonholed and identified as I'm going to write a story for someone who's depressed I like stories that breathe that I can find myself in and so I've written a story called stronger than you know and um, I trialed that with a group of elderly women and with a group of P7s and with some teenagers and they loved it. And it was small and it was intimate and it was very therapeutic, even though I'm not a therapist, it was a very therapeutic setting. And people took from that story, the, the gentle things in that story that they needed for whatever they were going through for that day. And that story also has things in it for for people who are nurturing folks. It's just a very nurturing story. So I actually like both things. I find meaning and joy in both of those things. And I think storytelling encompasses all of that.
0: Renita, what is your role with the Wigtown Book Festival?
1: Well, for a number of years, I have been the resident storyteller for the book festival. Of course, I live in Wigtown. But, and I'm, but I'm also a professional storyteller connected to the Scottish Storytelling Centre. And my role within the book festival has grown with my life here over the last 13 years. And it's just developed and it's developed and it's de- developed. So I do a lot of things um, within the program. I, I attend to, I find storytellers for them. Like if they have a, a theme that they're going with and they think they might come and say, we need to unearth some storytellers that can tell us whiskey stories or that can tell us seafaring stories. So I, I point them to other storytellers that I know of. I also do the book at bedtime for them for adults. So we all think that it's only, it's like a book bug, but it's for adults. (laughs) And it's, (laughs) and uh, it's actually been described as like the jewel in the crown of the festival. It's not, it's, it's a free event. It was never meant to be a huge, big thing, but it's become that. And, uh, we always have a lullaby, we have a song, we blow out the lights, we have a poem, we have a picture book.
0: All the yeah. bean bugs.
1: And bean bugs, yes, there are. And uh, so we, we do that in a bookshop, so I do that. I also do the midge. The midge is like the booktown's answer to the moth. If you know the moth, it's a big storytelling thing. Well, we can't do the big thing, so we do the midge. And uh, we have an event where people can come and tell their life stories, and I facilitate that for them. And then on top of all that, of course, I'm involved very much, very heavily with all the kids festival things. And on that note, it's coming up that I'm going to be doing some stories for Big Dog and Wigtown Book Festival in collaboration with my uh, new YouTube channels, which is nice. So it. it keeps in touch with all those bodies of people now for our
0: listeners at home that don't fully understand the difference between the Wigtown book festival and big dog festival
1: what is the difference okay so the Wigtown book festival of course is the large overarching festival in which a lot of things take place so the big dog and the big wig are the two festivals that are specifically for children within that remit and so when uh, so the big wig festival is what takes place physically during the book festival that happens in Wigtown and Big Dog happens, has had a physical presence um, in Dumfries and is now also kind of our digital home during this time frame. Mm-hmm. And so it's quite a lovely thing to be able to contribute and keep that going and reach out to the kids across the region and families across the region and further afield.
0: That's interesting actually because I'm thinking about the difference between performing in front of adults or an adult audience and performing for young people and children. Some people would say there's no difference whatsoever, and some people say actually there is a difference. You need to alter your performance register in a certain way, alter your delivery. Would you say there is a difference when it yes. comes to performing to a younger audience? You do, okay. Why? I-
1: there's a difference with every audience because every audience is different. I don't think of my audiences as young audiences or older audiences. I, I mean, I have to label them in some way, you know, but I don't think of them as different. I think of them as a group of people and every group of people is different. So you, you might have a young audience that's wired to the sky and you might have a young audience that's scared and you might have a young audience that's, you know, uh, they have learning difficulties you know and each of those groups of people need something different and adults need something different so it's really a matter of reading what's in the room and i think that's what makes uh, it a different thing than performing when you perform a play you know there's less of that than there is when you are a storyteller you read the room and you know when someone's had enough you know when someone needs help you know you know, you, you read the room better. It's, you learn how to have eye contact. It's a relation, You Storytelling involves a lot of relational skills and a lot of confidence in, in being able to develop those skills. So while some of my stories are much more performance-based, like the Funky Folk and Fables, you know, they're just riotous and they, they work everywhere and, uh, and they're very performance-based.
0: Funky Folk and Fables, now you mentioned that. It, uh, is that a, a canon of stories that you'd like to draw upon?
1: Yes. So essentially what has occurred is in the 13 years I've lived in the book festival, uh, I've been involved with all the kids that come through and they usually, you know, they have often come and met in the main marquee. So I've done the main, you know, I I basically have warmed up for the authors that come. I think I'm probably, I'm not aware of any other book festival that has a storyteller who does this, but basically, you know, not every, I think authors are great. Children's authors are fantastic, but it is a skill to warm kids up keep them occupied you know if they're in a hot tent so that's so that's my job is I kind of welcome the welcome the young people to the festival and I always each year that I've been here for 13 years I have made up a different version of a folktale for them like the three little pigs or the silly billy goats gruff or the frog prince who sings country western music I mean so I've, uh, there's always a signature story that I have done for the Wigtown Festival Company for the last 13 years. So I now actually do have a canon of folktales, and I'm going to be launching them on my new YouTube channel, for made for kids. It's called Renita Boyle. No, it's called uh, YouTube.com Tell Together Tales. And uh, that's launching on the first Friday in June at, I think, 7 o'clock. And then following that, the next Thursday, I'm going to do tuck-in tales, which are just quiet, multi-sensory sessions for families, which I also developed with the book festival.
0: Excellent, fantastic. It sounds like you're quite a busy bee, even at the moment, particularly during lockdown.
1: Yes, every storyteller, every person who works with any kind of audience, any group, any kids, particularly those who are working in education, are feeling the desire to maintain contact, give them stability at in uncertain times. So one of the other things that I have had the privilege of doing over the last three years is I'm a patron of reading um, at a school in Renfrew, St. James Primary School. And I've had a very strong relationship with them over three years. And my role in that school has been to take a group of 30 kids and train them in the art of telling stories. So I just finished my third year of that and I'd started with the P7, P7s 7 p when they were P5s. And it is just a joy to give your skills to someone else, to develop within them the skills that they will take forward. But I'm so aware that right now, it's difficult to maintain contact because I can't be in the school with them. Mm-hmm. So what I'm trying to do is through the various, the various groups of people that uh, are asking me to tell stories for them, I thought if I actually, finally, put a YouTube channel together that will enable people to access those stories and my face whenever they need them, which is just, it's a delight to be able to do it. And then I'm also going on my channel to have a playlist called Renita Reads, um, because I know a lot of authors and I would like with their permission to actually read some of their some of their books so that they you know, they actually have a wider audience as well. Um, so that I'm looking at doing that and I'll be reading some vintage books on that as well. Things like that.
0: Fantastic. And I think the, the mentoring that you do with the young people, actually quite a nice development there in terms of encouraging this traditional skill. One of the things I noticed when I moved to the region, I moved to Scotland, was that although storytelling is seen as a a very traditional, very important skill for Scotland, and there seems to be a a bit of a a lack of provision when it comes to teaching young people these really valuable skills, because it's not just storytelling, it's also being able to communicate, it's interpersonal skills, it's it's being able to look people straight in the eye and delivering uh, meaning to an audience, and all these kind of skills these soft skills that employers call them these are really important not just employability but just for life in general
1: yes they are and they have to be developed now young i find that young kids actually quite naturally do a lot of these things they're natural mimics Mm. they're naturally confident and so if we get them when they're young they they will have skills that they can take i think storytelling is an amazing it should every school should actually have a storyteller attached to them. I believe that. And every school should look at how they can use storytelling to connect the curriculum, because we learn best in the context of story. And there's, there's a very interesting uh, organization called Storytelling Schools, I think it's called. And actually, their schools completely, every teacher is trained as a storyteller. And they have seen their attainment levels raise and all sorts of things because they have taken this storytelling approach. You know, I think what's difficult is that there's not the investment. People don't I think in the arts, one of the things that's one of the things that's difficult is you just start getting your teeth sunk into something and then the funding is gone and the project is gone. And actually we need sustained development if we're going to see sustained growth and sustained value not only in the arts, but for everything. Because storytelling skills are, you know, people work in teams. They need to know how to talk to each other. They need to look at each other in the eye. They need to be able to read people's emotions. They need to be able to know how to speak calmly and confidently. They need to know how to deal with anxieties and nerves. All of these things come from uh, storytelling. So I have I love to give these skills away. Nobody wants to die with the skills in them. We want to give them away. You know, we want the legacy to live on, just like the legacy lived on for me to tell. I want the legacy that I can leave to other people to tell. And Scotland is amazing. It's got a storytelling center in Edinburgh and it's amazing. There are, I don't know how many registered storytellers, maybe 150 or so of us now that are on the register mm. and each storyteller on that register has been through a process and they've been vetted and they all have expertise and it's just an amazing resource that we have in this country.
0: As well as being active in Southwest Scotland, you've also been the storyteller in residence for Shetland's Arts.
1: What was that like? Oh, it was amazing. So I spent a month in the Boothie in Shetland, just myself. I, it was an um, incredible opportunity. So I was just all by myself on the Shetland Islands. Didn't really know anyone, and, um, but made friends while I was there. And I had the opportunity, I think I, think I was supposed to visit 10 schools, but I didn't, wanna, I didn't want anybody who, didn't, who wanted me to come not to come. So anyway, basically I did, I think, about 12 schools and went around the island and did a different project with each school and told stories. It was incredible. And you could see why the Selkie tradition is so strong in Scotland because in Shetland, it felt like the water and the land just had blurred with each other. It It was just stunning. I even got a chance to go to the outer Scaries and spend a day with the very last child to be educated in a primary school on the Outer Scaries. And I had to take two ferries to get there. And I think the lighthouse there has some connection to Robert Louis Stevenson as well. Mm. It's a very, and I got to kiss a lot of Shetland ponies too. So I was very happy about that.
0: You recently had a uh, book published.
1: Yes, uh, it debuted at the book festival called Strange Visitor. It was illustrated by Mike Abel and published by Curly Tail Books, where you can get a copy. And it's essentially an old Scots folktale that has been revamped and updated and uh, and the illustration is all very gothicy and dark because that's Mike's style. He had to be happy for a whole year when he illustrated Hong Kong Rattle Rattle for me. So this was, he said, if you illustrate Hong Kong for me, I will let you illustrate any of my stories. And so this is what he did. So he's turned it into a graphic novel and there's all kinds of references in the illustrations to movies and Hitchcock and all sorts of things. Movie buffs will find all sorts of references. To Bruce Lee and all sorts of things in this book and Mike is quite quite an amazing mind and I love to see what he uh, does with the character and of course at the back I've written it in Scots as well so it's yes yeah, it's basically a graphic novel
0: you're kind of a champion of Scottish culture
1: what I love about being in Scotland is I I actually have lived here longer now than I lived in America so I actually kind of think of myself as a Whiskany Scot so <laughs> I belong in two places, and I don't belong to either of them. I am in that category of people that always has the tinge of exile in them and always the longing for home, no matter what country that I am in. I think a lot in Scots because I am married to a Scot and I didn't come here with a subculture at all. I was just dropped into the glaswegian uh, glaswegian household. I love Glaswegians by the way, and uh, I just think that. It's just immersed in me. So even though I have a very American accent, I actually quite often think in Scots, but I never thought to write in Scots until Rob Wilson insisted that I write my emails to him in Scots. And he was forever, he's a champion. So I have been championed by people who champion Scots as a language. And I got brave enough to attempt to write a poem in Scots a few years ago, and entered into the poetry competition, the Tom Poetry Competition, and it won, which was quite a sign. I thought I was gonna, I thought people were not gonna be very happy about this, but they were so supportive of someone turning their attention to Scots. So when I became a patron of reading in a Renfrew, I decided that I really wanted the kids to learn to read and to write and to translate stories into Scots. And I was so surprised by how worried they are about their own language. And so I find that actually some as somebody who isn't natural speaking, it gives them permission. I say, if I can do this, for goodness sake, you can do this, mm. you know, and and you speak it all the time, you've just never seen it written down. And so I did, it. I wrote a story, I've got a couple of stories about a mouse called Laldi, Laldi the mouse. And uh, she geese at Laldi. And, uh, and I also have a story called the Mitten, or it's called Tomte's Mitten. And I've written it in Scots with Makaton as well. And a group of girls tackled it in the Scots. There was only one group that decided they would tackle it in Scots. And then they performed it around the school in Scots. And they were so proud of their own culture and their own language. And I thought, it's a lovely thing to do, even if I do it imperfectly. What are your next steps? My next steps are to launch my uh, YouTube channels, which will be launched. I have one for grown-ups as well called renitaboyle.com. That one is going to be learning storytelling tips and all my art and poetry and things like that. Um, but anyway, they're launching in June. I am um, writing some book proposals. I am writing a lot of family stories just now and I have several zoom storytelling sessions coming up storytelling session for the world oceans day and uh, some churches have actually uh, latched on to my time for bed Bible for nursery school so they've invited me to come along and tell stories so I'm always keeping busy and I'm painting tea bags as well
0: <laughs> a whole nother
1: thing you can follow that on Instagram right. um, anything that we can do to continue the Art, of storytelling.
0: storytelling. Means that we're coming to the end of the show
1: now. Thank you so much for joining us. You're very welcome. I've loved every minute. Can I sing the Hong Kong rattle rattle song? Since everyone asks.
0: Please, by all means.
1: Hong Kong rattle 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 crash bang bang. Hong Kong rattle 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 crash bang bang. Hong Kong rattle 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 crash bang bang. Hong Kong con 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 beep beep. Aruga. <laughs>